So come on, saints, the last week I've been talking about responding to the times. It was such a prophetic series that I embarked on. God really spoke to me about it. And of course, I had in mind the COVID pandemic because I know, obviously, pastoring the church and other churches, that there's many people that were really heavy-hearted and a little bit disillusioned and most probably which is frustrated with all the lockdowns and especially the believers that we couldn't get together as a church. And God really spoke to me to do this series about responding to the times. And of course, in the events, of the light of last week's events, it's become an even more apt message. It's become even more prophetic in that sense because it's a now word and it's something that the reality of it that we need in our lives right now. So bear with me. I'm going to do a little bit of review for those that are watching the first time. If you missed, I did a part one responding to the times, a part two responding to the times, and today's the third of responding to the times. I touched on it last week that our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is central to our Christian walk, and faith is important. The body of faith that was once for all delivered to the saints, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Have the faith of God, Jesus said in Mark eleven twenty four, and we can move mountains or we can uproot trees, we can move obstacles. So faith is important. It's faith from first to last. The just shall live by faith. Romans 1 and Habakkuk chapter 2. And we can go on and on and on talking about faith and giving a teaching on faith. But let's not go down that rabbit trail for the moment. As important as faith is, the thing that I want to bring across is you know faith and I know faith. You have faith. I have faith. And the thing about faith, it is very dear and very precious to God. It's a gift given by him, Romans chapter 12, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. We can even look at it at Romans chapter 5, but never mind. Faith is a gift, and because it's central to our Christian walk, we stand or fall by our faith. And so our faith gets tested. Our faith gets tried. Remember, even the disciples prayed one time. They said to the Lord Jesus, help our unbelief. Lord, we believe, but help our unbelief. It's amazing that we can have faith and unbelief concurrent. It's amazing that we can have faith for one thing and not faith for another because faith hasn't grown in that area. And so God is really concerned because our faith is so vital, so essential, so central to our Christian lives that God wants to refine our faith. So our faith is tested and tried. The Bible shows us, I've did two sessions on it already, in depth, you can go and find all the scriptures, and I haven't even covered them all. But our faith gets tested and tried. But the issue is, what is our response to those very testings and trials? How do we respond, or how do we react, if we look at the word reacting negatively? And of course, the last week, this nation has been traumatized, absolutely traumatized. So, come on, church. What is our response? Do we become fearful and anxious? Do we curl up into the fetal position and uh, bury ourselves in a hole? What do we do? Or do we respond in faith? Do we become critical? Do we become full of hatred and anger and unforgiveness? What is our response to them? Remember when Paul was writing and Peter was writing, they were living during the times of the Roman Empire, an oppressive regime, a regime that actively persecuted Christians. You know, they ended up with the insane Caesar Nero who burnt down Rome and evidently played his harp and sang while it burnt. Wicked and depraved people. And Paul lived through those times. The apostles, all of them, virtually except John the Beloved, died for their faith. You know, they lived in adverse times when the world was totally opposed to Christianity. We live in more tolerant times, yet there is wickedness. So, you know, what emotions are evoked in us when we look at all these visuals. And I know, unfortunately, there are many believers, all of those in KZN, who are living through this madness. So what can I learn? What do I discover about myself? What have I discovered in my belief about God that needs to be shored up a little bit? How can I better respond? So faith is purified and strengthened by it being tested. And surely ours is being tested. So let me, by way of reminder, James chapter 1, verses 2 to 5. Consider it, James says, and I always uh, find this a difficult one. But he says, consider it pure joy, 
my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Now that trials is very broad. The trials, the Greek word there is parasmos. And uh, I think it is the King James that says temptations, or some translations say temptations. But parasmos means any kind of affliction, any kind of persecution, any kind of trial. And James says there's a variety of it. You know, the world is full of trials. He says, but when you're going through it, consider it pure joy. Well, why would we do that? I mean, nobody likes difficulties. Nobody likes hardships. But James says it because of the end results, because of what it produces. He says this, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And you know, that indicates to me that very often we need to go through the things. We need to persevere in it with faith to come through and to come out the other end. He says, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So there it is. You know, God's whole purpose in allowing us to go through these things, none of this is from God, but he allows it so that when we go through it, it will contribute massively to our completeness and our maturity of character where we will lack nothing. You know, there's nothing worse than untested character because you can talk a big game, but you can't live a big game. And you know, the time for talking about how good we are is over or how strong we are is over. It's time now to live this. You know, God wants, obviously, Christians, we should have the toughest mindsets in that we can endure because we're the most optimistic, the most faithful, the most love-filled of all people upon the earth. And faith is biblical optimism. And we have hope, of course. And so James says, consider it pure joy. We will lack nothing. I think that there's a lot of lack in Christians. There's a lot of weakness in Christians. But not only that, we don't walk in the full power of God because we're incomplete and mature. And there's nothing like the testing of faith to bring us to that completeness and to that maturity in Christ. Peter says the same thing, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, wherein you greatly rejoice. Again, now, Peter is saying the same thing. You've got to understand this. The times that Peter was writing in was just before. He was writing in the late 60s, especially 2 Peter. But it was just before the great trial, tribulation, the great tribulation. It's not something to come. It's something that happened, the great tribulation of AD 70. And Peter himself was put to death. He was executed. Peter himself knew what it was like to go through trials and difficulties. And both of his epistles, 1 Peter and 2 Peter, are our attitude and our response in the midst of trying and testing times. And he says, we greatly rejoice in them. So we don't give thanks and we don't rejoice because we're suffering. But in the trial, in the situation, we can greatly rejoice. Now, church, I know, you know, it's tough. But in view of what's happening in our nation, pandemic and all these treasonous things that are happening, this attempted coup or whatever it is that is happening in our country, James says it and Peter says it that in it, not because of it, but in it, that we need to rejoice greatly and consider it pure joy. You know, I know that when I watch the visuals, when I see what's happening, and, you know, I have a bit of a brain, you know, so you kind of look at it and think, Ish, this is going to have a knock-on effect in the country. This is going to become a super spreader event for COVID. This is going to take some time to recover from. You know, what are we going to do? But that is the wrong reaction. Paul tells us, and James tells us, and Peter tells us, should I say, that we need to be rejoicing in times like this because the testing of our faith is going to produce something in our character that is really precious. He says, wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, and it's a season, we're going to get through this. If need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations. So instead of the heaviness, put on the garment of praise. That the trial of your faith and your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth. So what Peter's telling us even gold perishes, 
but your faith, when it is tested and tried in trials as a fire, does not perish. He says, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Man, I tell you, there's so much in this verse. I wish I could carry on and preach just more about the appearing, the appearing of Christ. So Peter says, dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you. So the fiery ordeal has come on you to test you. God didn't create it. God didn't initiate it. The devil is behind it. He's using wicked people. God, in his foreknowledge, knows about it. He hasn't stopped it. He can't because he respects our free will. So these things come, but he tells us those through whom they come must beware. But they come, and Peter says, to test us. So we should not be surprised as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when your glory or his glory, which then becomes your glory, is revealed. So in other words, it's going to be manifest. Brilliant. I tell you, this is so amazing. You know, at best, the devil is just like Haman who plotted the downfall of Mordecai and built the gallows, and he himself was hung in his <laughs> own gallows that he built. And I hope the devil is listening because that's what's going to happen to him. You know, he will be crushed under our feet and completely defeated. And so Paul said to the Thessalonians, when we could stand it no longer being separated from them, he said, we sent Timothy who was our brother and co-worker in God's service in spreading the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you in your faith. And I pray, I pray that by the Holy Spirit, by the hearing of the word, by the speaking of the word, by me teaching this teaching, that you would be strengthened and encouraged in your faith to stand and believe instead of to react in disbelief and despondency and depression and even think of running away. I mean, where are you going to go to? This week, I think it was Ian and Shreen were just telling me about, you know, the soccer final between Italy and um, England and how the soccer hooligans, the soccer fans were trying to break into the stadium, you know, riotous. I mean, again, I mean, we see the same thing there, the way those hooligans behave. And then afterwards, when Italy won, the women were stripping naked and uh, taking their tops off and flashing their nude bodies around through the streets, you know, are we going to go and live there? I mean, crazy, what a crazy world, crazy world. We might as well stand here and face the situation and see revival come in our nation. This is where God has called us. So he says, to strengthen and encourage in your faith, so that no one will be unsettled by these trials. Listen to what he says, for you know quite well that we are destined for them. In fact, when we're with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted, and it turned out that way, as you well know. So, and then I'm just going to give you 10 things. Just very quickly, let me recap. We ended last week by reading Deuteronomy 8, verses 1 to 20. I'm not going to read all 20 verses, but I'm going to just pick out the pertinent, the relevant ones to show you God was actively involved in testing his people Israel. God had a plan, a destination, a land of promise. God had somewhere for them to go, but he needed to deal with character. He needed to deal with faith. He needed to deal with a matter of trust in them because it would be by faith that they would enter the promised land because the promised land were full of giants and the, the descendants of Anak, the Amalekites were there and um, you know the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Jebusites and all the other parasites were in the land of Canaan. And so God had to work on them, their character, their discipline. God had to work on their faith, their trust in him, because the land that he was taking them to was a land flowing with milk and honey, but there were still giants in the land that they had to go and face. And so he was forming them into a formidable force. And so through the 40 years that he took them through the wilderness, there were tests that he took them towards. A waterless, dry, arid land he took them through, and God fed them. But there were times when there was no water, when there was no food, and that was the time for them to trust in the Word of God, to live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And that's what he was forming in his people. So towards the end of their journeys, listen to what God says. Be careful, he said, to follow every command I'm giving you today so that you may live. Now, I touched on this last week. 
God wants you to live, just like with the children of Israel. He said, I want you to live. I want you to increase, and I want you to enter, and I want you to possess the land that God promised you on earth to your ancestors. That will of God has not changed, church. Come on, saints. Come on, family. God wants you to live. God wants you to increase. God wants you to enter into his promises. God wants you to possess his promises. So God's allowing us to face hard times is not God's anger. It's not God's judgment. It's not God's displeasure with us. It is God's preparation of us to live, to increase, to enter, and to possess. Now, I don't know about you. I want all of those things. Sometimes we don't like the means, you know, but God has got the end in sight. And then he says this, these 40 years I led you through the wilderness to humble you and test you in order to know what was in your heart. And I said last week, God knows what is in our heart, but it's interesting the way that the Bible knows it. He puts it as if he doesn't know, but he knows by our actions, you know, after we respond. It's really interesting. Go and search it out. It's to humble and test you, to know what was in your heart. And so he said he caused you to hunger. He humbled you. Then he fed you with manna. And uh, he said the whole purpose for this was to teach you, to teach you. Come on, saints. God wants to teach us. He wants to discipline, disciple in us. He wants to train us. Come on, so that we may live, increase, enter, and possess, to teach you to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So then he says, know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. As he disciplines his sons, so the Lord your God disciplines you. And I'm going to come on to it in a moment. But listen, in all of this craziness that is happening, as far as you and I are concerned, God is intimately, personally, absolutely involved with you. He's walking there beside you. He's got you on this faith track, this faith walk, and it's purpose-built, designed for you and for me. And so what he's doing, he's treating us as beloved children. He's treating us as sons. Come on, church. He's saying, I love you, my children. I love you. So I want to train you so that you may live, increase, possess, and enter. And then he goes on. He says, Skipping verses, for the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land. He's taking you to a good place. And that good place at the moment doesn't <laughs> look like South Africa, but neither does the rest of the world. It's interesting. I just went online after last week's message. And in fact, Chris Lindbergh contacted me from Canada to say that he was watching the events unfolding and that he was praying. And he said this. He said, brother, Canada doesn't know how close it is also to the brink of anarchy. But we are praying, and that's why he started those It's Time prayer meetings, praying for Canada. The world is going crazy. The world is nuts. But I want to tell you something. It's ripe and ready for revival. So a lot of people contacted us from overseas, and they said they're praying. The Lord your God is bringing you into good land. Now, God is bringing us into a good space, into a good place within ourselves, where we'll be stronger, We'll be more mature. We'll be more complete. We will lack nothing, church. We'll lack nothing of ours that is in Christ, our inheritance. So God says, be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God. He said, he said this, you know, failing to observe his commands and laws. And uh, he says, because what I did, I did to humble you and to test you so that in the end, it might go well with you. Wow. So church, in the end, it will go well with us. In the end, it will go well with us. In the end, it will go well with us. Come on, church. It is well. That beautiful hymn that was written, it is well with my soul. Just like Amazing Grace, just like many hymns were written in trying times. Raise a hallelujah was written by a couple in the Bethel church, in the band, in the worship team, because friends of their son and daughter got a virus that went into the kidneys, and there was not much hope of them recovering. And they were on the brink of death 
when this couple, the Hesslers, just while they were praying, the song rose up in their hearts, raise a hallelujah. You know, they were facing, he said, the giant of unbelief. And that raise a hallelujah in the midst of our enemy, in the midst of trials, in the midst of trouble. And God supernaturally touched those two little children. Come on, it was in trials. But we need to stand and rise up and raise a hallelujah in this time. In this country, God is going to do something great. So then, Deuteronomy 8, let me just recap. God is treating us as sons. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord God disciplines you. Now, the word discipline has got such a negative connotation with us because we think of an angry dad spanking us. You know, how about a loving dad spanking us? You know, I never ever spank my children out of anger and hatred, I spanked them out of a deep sense of love and concern for their growth and development. And they were trained by it. A better word is train or disciple. And so God trains us, God disciples us. But it feels like discipline. It feels like chastisement at times. But a good son knows that a good father is training them through the pain of the rod. They're being discipled. They're being disciplined. And the pain of testing, come on, church, know then in your heart that God is training you as a son for better things. So Hebrews 12 and verse 3 says this to us. Consider him. That's Jesus. Consider Jesus who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Hey, family, let's consider Jesus the most righteous, the only perfect, the only holy man that ever lived, perfect in every way, holy, righteous, God. And he was crucified at the hands of sinful men. But Peter tells us, like a sheep before shearers, he was quiet. He didn't open his mouth. No profanity came out of his mouth. Nothing, no retaliation, nothing at all. He completely trusted God, even though it was the will of God for him to go through it and to give his life as a ransom for us, so that you don't grow weary and lose heart. Saints, I am imploring you, please don't grow weary and lose heart. Get into the presence of God. Get back to all the prophetic words that God has for you. Get back to the word of God. Remind yourselves of the prophetic word that God has over this nation of South Africa. Now, this was actual physical persecution that the Hebrew Christians were going through. And Paul says, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And he was saying, none of you have bled yet. None of of you have died yet, you know. And their property was confiscated. Things were taken away from them. And he said, some of you joyfully stood with others that had this happen to them. You were sharing your food and all of this kind of thing. Church, we haven't resisted to the shedding of blood. We haven't stood up. We're not being persecuted and put to death for, in some countries there are, put to death and persecuted for our faith in Christ. So don't grow weary and don't lose heart. Paul says this, and have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? Now, Paul was writing this to people who knew the scriptures, and of course, then they only had the Old Testament scriptures. And he said, there is a word of encouragement written in your scriptures, you know, Genesis to Malachi, that addresses your sons. Well, we read now Deuteronomy 8 was one of them, but the other one is found in Proverbs 3, verses 11 and 12. And Paul is referring to those two scriptures, and he says, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline. So don't despise it, and do not resent his rebuke. Okay, wow. So according to Proverbs, let's not get into despising and let's not get into resentment. So our attitude in the midst of this should be, okay, Lord, what aspect of my character is being tested? What area of my faith is being tested? And so let me finish the verses. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves. As a father, the son he delights in. Woo-wee, wee <laughs> I mean, we love all the delight and the favor scriptures, don't we? I mean, I do too. Let me be honest with you. But a son that he delights in, a son of his favor, is going to be disciplined, is going to be trained 
through what he faces. Oh, my word. And so let's go back to Hebrews 12. You've completely forgotten this word of encouragement. Deuteronomy 8, Proverbs 3, that addresses you as a father addresses his son. It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as a son. Oh, my word. If you want confirmation that he loves you and accepts you as a son, other than by the Spirit in our hearts, well, it's this, that he allows us to face difficulties. He doesn't take us out of it. He allows us to go through. He walks with us. His grace is sufficient for us to go through. Oh, my goodness. It's proof of his love for us. Oh, my word. This is amazing. Well, there's another passage of Scripture. Then I'm going to just whiz through 10 simple little things. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 to 5. Yeah, I love these verses. These are among some of my favorite verses in the Bible. Just listen to it. I mean, it's just really excellent. Therefore, whenever you see it, therefore, you have to read all the preceding. So in other words, chapter 1, 2, 3, and 4, um, there are other therefores before that. But, you know, but this therefore, it's the same as in Romans chapter 8. There is therefore now no condemnation in Christ. And so the therefore comes from the seven chapters. So that's why there's no condemnation. But here, Paul is bringing a therefore. And he says, therefore, since we've been justified through faith, and that's what he's at pains to tell us from, you know, Romans chapter 3, 4, and 5, that we've been justified through faith. He says, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So between me and God and you and God, there's peace. We are no longer enemies towards him. He was never our enemy. We were his enemy. But now there's peace between us and God. Through whom? Listen to this. Through God or through the Lord Jesus Christ. We have gained access by faith, all right? So faith, into this grace in which we now stand. It reminds me of Ephesians 2 verses 8, 9, and 10, where it is by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not yourselves. It's a gift of God so that no one can boast. And uh, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus. So anyway, so faith into the grace in which we now stand. And then he says, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Okay, so there's faith, and now there's hope. We know that 1 Corinthians 13 talks about faith, hope, and love, the greatest being love. And so he says we've gained access by faith into grace, and he says, and we've got this incredible hope of the glory of God. In other words, that Christ in us is the hope of glory. And because of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we've gained access into this incredible grace of God, We can now rejoice in the hope, and it's a sure hope, it's not a wish, the sure hope of us being transformed in ever-increasing glory, from glory to glory, into the image of Christ. You know, the full image of Christ, that we stand complete in Him, and it's called glory. So that we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also, listen to this, glory in our sufferings, oh my word. Now, James says, consider it pure joy, and uh, Peter tells us to be rejoicing more or less exceedingly, and now Paul says we need to be glorying in it, like reveling in it, you know? This is another level to rejoicing or (laughs) considering it pure joy. We are to glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. There it is. Paul and James and Peter all agree. It produces perseverance, perseverance, character. And the word there, character, the Greek is more or less the same, character. It's the image of God. But here, what Paul is talking about is tried and tested and proven character. I don't know if you've ever realized this or noticed this, but uh, it's almost amazing that you know, when you were a brand new believer, it was almost like the enemy never opposed your finances until you started giving your tithes and offerings, you know, and you got prophecies about prosperity, and the next day everything, you just about went bankrupt. Because there's opposition to everything we do, but if we persevere through it, character develops, try tests and character. For me, you know, tithes, offerings, giving, for forgiving people, for loving people, there's no test in it anymore. You know, I remember when I first got baptized in the Holy Spirit, when I first gave my life to Jesus. The next day, it was like, that was weird. You know, are you really born again? Are you really saved? It gets tested. 
and you stand firm, now I've got a complete assurance of faith. There's not that much doubt in my mind, not the weensiest. And then the same with the baptism in the Holy Spirit. First time I spoke in tongues, the next day when I woke up, I'm thinking to myself, man, that was all gibberish. I was making that up. You know, until you take it by faith and you start to flow in it and something established, now there's no ways the enemy could convince me of anything different because it's proven, it's been tested, and I'm able to stand in it. The same with all of our character, our character qualities, our patience, our long-suffering, our joy, our peace, all of those things. He says we glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. So we had faith first of all, and now we rejoice and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. But we see that hope is more firmly established in us when we persevere through troubles. And so character produces hope. Oh, my word. Something gets established of hope in us when we test it. It really is amazing because we start to produce a track record of the evidence of God's involvement in our lives, and we see how God brought us through there, and 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 hope starts to arise in our hearts, and the next time you face something, you've got a more sure hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So there are all three, faith, hope, and love, in a few verses, in five verses. And so he says, the love of God has been shed abroad, you know, totally abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. So we could take this now and actually work backwards. Because when we got saved, we got such a revelation of the love of God. We've got an absolute hope and a faith in him, faith and hope in him. That even when we're going through trials, we know that he loves us and he knows that he has our good in mind and that he will take us through, and so we're able to persevere and develop that godly character. So now, very quickly, let's fly through 10 things. So now we face trials. And you know, before COVID, before the pillaging and plundering that's been going on by mindless people in our nation, before that, you would face trials. You faced many trials in your whole life. And it's essential. It's not only for this time, but yes, it is for this time. The first and the most important thing to do when you're in a trial, the one through whom your trials comes, you need to forgive. Now, in the first message that I taught, I taught that sometimes our trials are a result of our immaturity and our lack of wisdom and our flesh. And so, whether it's from someone else or even it's from your own weaknesses and failures, you need to forgive. So, you need to forgive others, and then you also need to forgive yourself. You can't keep beating yourself up if you made mistakes. So first of all, if it was someone else's fault, we got to walk in forgiveness. And I'm not going to take time. You know, you've had teachings ad infinitum about forgiveness. You know exactly what forgiveness is about and how to walk in forgiveness. So we need to keep short accounts and make sure that we don't get into bitterness and hatred concerning those through whom the trials are coming. But even if it's yourself, we are all human. We are all flesh. And we don't have complete wisdom. That's why James says, if we lack wisdom, ask God and he will give it to us. But we need to forgive ourselves. It's pointless beating yourself up. Forgive yourself, pick yourself up, learn the lesson, and go forward and trust God to redeem and restore the results of your failures and weakness and lack of wisdom. Secondly, stay positive. Life, I like it, it's Virginia Satter. She's a psychologist and a family therapist. But she says this, an author. She says, life is not the way it's supposed to be. It's the way it is. <laughs> the way you cope is what makes the difference. Come on, I've got to read that again. Life is not the way it's supposed to be. The world is not the way it's supposed to be. It's the way it is. The way you cope is what makes the difference. My son Daniel I've mentioned this before, send me this little quote. But a positive mindset is a creative mindset. And what we need right now is creativity and entrepreneurship. We need that to be our portion. So we must stay positive. Number one, you'll be happier. Number two, you'll be more creative as far as resolving or and enduring the trials. Number three, 
you'll be in a better position emotionally, spiritually, physically to move forward. You'll have much more energy if you're positive. It's amazing how draining of emotional and spiritual and physical energy, worrying and fretting and fear is. You know, and I'm not saying that you can never have a bad day or get a little discouraged. I'm not saying you can't shed a tear or two. But what I'm saying is that we need to eventually pick ourselves up, pick up the pieces, and start moving forward in the best way. Forgive, stay positive. Number three, pray for wisdom. Pray for wisdom. Pray for wisdom. Pray for wisdom. Ask God for wisdom. There are times when you can't do much to change the situation, but you just have to deal with it. There are other times when you can actively work to make the situation better, and you will need the wisdom of God to do that. Very often, the solution is in plain sight, but for whatever reason, we can't see it, because if we could, we wouldn't A, be in the mess, or B, we would be coping with the thing better, and so we need that wisdom of God, that word of wisdom, that divine infusion, injection of wisdom that comes from the Holy Spirit. It's amazing. When the disciples, the apostles were telling in, um, I think it's Acts chapter 6, them to choose seven men that would wait on the tables as deacons, it says, choose men full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. See, wisdom comes from the Holy Spirit, and we need to. Some we gain through the experiences we go through. Some we gain from our parents and our upbringing. You know, we gain a lot of wisdom from the Word if we would just live the Word. But then there's infusions of wisdom. There's gifts of wisdom that God gives to us. He gives us a piece of His wisdom for a situation, and that's why James tells us to pray for. So look for the solution. I read an amazing story. I don't know how many of you know Wrigley's chewing gum. I think many people overseas know it. There's all kinds of brands now, but Wrigley's chewing gum. Mr. Wrigley Jr., William Wrigley Jr., was a soap and baking powder salesman in the 1890s. And what he did when he went out to go and sell, obviously, bulk orders of baking powder and soap, he used to give free chewing gum to his clients. And um, his sales started to go down you know, he wasn't succeeding in the sales of those items. But what he noticed, that the people really enjoyed his chewing gum. And so he started a company, and he started producing chewing gum. I heard a little while ago, it's not that many years ago, that Warren Buffett bought major shares in Wrigley's. Because then they started making all sorts of things. I think Mars and Bounty and all of those come out of that company, if I remember the story right. And so here was a man who was facing trials, his sales were going down. And in plain sight, and initially he couldn't see it, was the chewing gum, was the thing. And so he started producing and manufacturing chewing gum, and then it became other kinds of sweets and all kinds of things. And the Wrigley family, they're billionaires, and Warren Buffett bought into the company. It's incredible the monumental success that came because he was able to see. Church, somewhere there's a solution for you as you're going through this hard time. Number four. Learn from the difficult times. Learn the lesson. Learn what God is teaching you. You know, there's, we're all learning different lessons, but it all goes about our faith. I think I quoted this last week. John Maxwell, the great leadership teacher, said this, facing difficulties is inevitable. Learning from them is optional. So church, let's learn. Let's stand up. If you've been negative, if you're feeling your heart filled with hatred, ask God to forgive you and to fill your heart with love. If you become negative, change it for positive. Start to get a positive confession. Don't speak the destruction of this nation. Speak its revival in the name of Jesus. We saw it on Friday night, and it came out of the mouths of one of our own patrollers, is that people are ready for the word of God. Come on, church. South Africa is ready for you and me to stand up as believers and to be counted and to hear our voice. They want to see that what we've been preaching about is true. Well, now it's time to live it and for it to be true. Number five, make the necessary changes. Whatever it is, make those changes. Learn the lesson, make the changes. You know, just get out of the negativity. <laughs> and if it takes this, I went to go and visit a friend of mine the other day, a businessman, and um, he just said, what's going on in the country? So I was just telling him a bit, and he said, no, nah, I decided I'm not watching the news. I'm not burying my head in the sand, of course. So I'm not watching the news, and I'm refused for people to show me those horrific video clips, you know, on Facebook and things like that. He said, because I believe what God has said. 
about this nation. He even chased one guy out of his office who was insisting on showing him. And, um, you know, so make the changes. Do what is necessary. And we're not, church, we're not burying our head in the sand, but make the changes in yourself. If there's a wrong, non-Christian, unword response or reaction in your heart, change it. Count your blessings is number six. I've only got four more. Count your blessings. Be grateful. We used to sing it when I was a little boy. Old, timey song. Not that I'm old, but when I was a little boy, we were still singing it. Count your blessings. Name them one by one. And it will surprise you what the Lord your God has done. So what can we be thankful for? You know, what can we thank God for? We can thank God it wasn't worse. We can thank God as the minister of safety and security and the minister of police, Becketele, said, is that they foiled other plans for other destruction. And they've already caught one. And in fact, on Friday, when we were doing the community project, it came in through the radio and one of the patrollers told me that on the West Rand, somebody there was tweeting and putting out posts for the same looting and things to happen on the West Rand up here in Gauteng as it was down in KZN. And within minutes, within an hour, the police had arrested that man. And so we can count our blessings. But of course, there's many other things that we can count our blessings for. And I think, for me, I don't know how the world does it without Jesus. So one blessing, the main blessing that I'm grateful for is the fact that I'm saved. I've got Jesus. The same businessman said it to me the other day. He said to me, he always calls me Swar. For those of you who don't understand Afrikaans, that means brother-in-law, you know? My Swar, my, my brother. And he said, Swar, how do the people out there do it without God in their lives? I don't understand. And so we can count our blessings. There's many of them. Name them one by one, and it will surprise you what God has done. Number seven, focus on what you can control. Don't waste energy on what you can't. I popped around to see my daughter Amy the other day, and uh, she said that her husband Kevin had got a little bit negative, and she turned and said to him, she's very wise, she's like her mother, <laughs> she turned around and said to him, this conversation is not even going to go beyond this, she said, because we, we're wasting effort and energy into something that can't happen and won't happen, and it's not going to go anywhere. So let's put our energy into saying things that are positive and putting our faith in God. And I was immensely proud of her. So focus on what you can control. Put your effort and energy into those things. What's out of your control, those things you can't change. But, you know, it's just amazing how we fall into those things. But let's change it. Number eight, reflect on your personal growth. You know, in the ministry, the ministry is not always easy. And for those of you in ministry will understand us. If you've never been in ministry, you can't quite identify. And I think maybe business people could identify more. But very often, situations arise, counseling situations, things arise, offenses, all kinds of things arise in ministry. And, you know, it's true of your lives as well. But particularly in the ministry, you've got to handle so many things with kit gloves. And as I've looked back and reflected over 35 years in the ministry, I can really see how I've grown when I compare how at peace I am and how I handle situations now as opposed to many years ago. I was immature. I lacked wisdom. You know, I had not grown up at that stage as much as I've matured now. And so things would get to me, things would hurt me, things would affect my health, it would affect so many things. But as I reflect, the wisdom that I've gained from God and the maturity from the Spirit, a lot of it has come because of my personal testings that came through other people's stuff as I've gone through the ministry. And I handle them much better now. You know, I'm able to handle people much more tenderly, much more kindly, with much greater love, much greater understanding. But I can still be firm and I can still discipline people in grace, and reflect, you know, when we go through times like this, reflect on your personal growth. It will encourage you. So come on, church, we're going to go through this, and it's going to be added to your growth for future things so that we might be complete, mature, lacking nothing. Number nine, build other people up. 
Be present for others. Don't introvert. Don't, don't get into a place where you're so self-ish, self-centered, self-orientated. You're just concerned about what you're going through, your hard times, your difficulties. You know, it's amazing. Pastors have got to be there and um, walk through people in their trials. Often they themselves are going through much greater trials. You know, <laughs> there have been times when I've been tempted to sit down with somebody and go, oh my goodness, is that all? Do you want to hear my story? <laughs> You'll really cry if you hear what I'm going through. You know, but there's a heart of empathy. And Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, he says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. Listen to what he says. Who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. So come on. You're going to be a blessing to others. You are. You really are. And you're going to be a greater blessing. You're going to be able to say to people, I know exactly what you're going to. You're going to have the right words, the right heart, the right empathy to identify, to walk through. You're going to have the wisdom of God to pass on to someone and say, I know exactly how you're going to get through this. You're going to get through. You're going to make it because of the comfort you have received from God. So be present to build others up. Be available, be present. I'm really trying that. I'm trying that with all of our network pastors to be present. Paul said, when you've got together, I'm present with you in spirit. Be present in spirit for other people in ACF. If you've got family members in KZN, phone them, love them, send them stuff. You know, let's be present for one another. I did this the other day. My next door neighbors, they bry often. And uh, my neighbors... He's had to take early pension, and just in conversation with him one time, he just said it's horrendously short and insufficient for his needs. But the other day, we've got a butcher. It's a free advertising for Kempton Supermeats here in Kempton Park. And um, I went a while ago, and I bought some rump and some uh, sirloin, and the Southwest force is brilliant. And I said to them, could I have some matured rump and matured sirloin? He said, yes, Pastor John. And he vacuum-packed them in packs of twos for Bev and myself. And um, he asked me how much. And I suddenly thought of my neighbors. And I doubled the amount that I was thinking of. And I even then took charcoal and stuff like this. bought it there at the butchery. And I got home and I unpacked ours. And I took half a packet. I mean, it would be much more than one bri. I think there were about three bri's worth for the family. And I just went next door. And um, he was sitting out in the sun. And I saw the bri was there. And uh, so I called out to him. He came to the gate. I said, are you going to bry? He said, no, we were just getting ready to bry. So I said, well, I would like to just sponsor today's bry. He has the charcoal. And he just stood there looking at me like I had fallen out of Mars. You know, <laughs> he, just, he couldn't figure it out. And I said, and he has some meat. And I mean, he grabbed the packet and was heavy. And he was, <laughs> he was holding, holding the packet up and looking at the packet. Oh, the look on his face was priceless. And he said, what's this one? I said, no, just thank you for being such good neighbors. And we, we virtually never talk, you know. And I said, just thank you for being good neighbors. Come on, church. Comfort others with the comfort you yourself have received. Be present for others. It's amazing how that just took me out of myself and my cares and my concerns. Man, I got into my car and I drove off and I felt like a million rand, you know. Be that for someone. And then last of all, if you're facing trials, if this thing is difficult for you, number 10, Practical point, take care of yourself. You need to look after your health. Don't go into binge eating. Don't go into nervous eating. Don't become a stress ball. Don't chew your fingernails off, you know. Take a walk. It's wonderful to see here in Bonera Park. I think the number of people exercising or walking has increased in the COVID pandemic. I mean, you go out in the mornings and afternoons and people, even families, are going for or from fantastic walks. That's taking care of yourself and releasing some of that pent-up stressed energy. Lift some weights. Read an amazing good book. Watch a movie. Do something. You know, do something that can just help alleviate and distract and get your attention. If this is a practical tip, do something that gets your mind and your body engaged at a higher level than wallowing in self-pity or in the stress of your situation. So church, I trust that this has encouraged you. This is the third message now that I've spoke on responding to the times. We spoke about it. We were 
talking about it for the last three weeks, two weeks before this outbreak of chaos in South Africa. And so surely God is speaking to us. Surely God is saying something to you. So church, I want to encourage you. Don't become unsettled. Don't be shocked and surprised. Don't become dismayed. Don't become heavy hearted. Don't get into panic and flight mode. We are going to get through this. God is going to bring revival to this country. God is going to do something profound and powerful in this nation. I believe we're going to get help from other nations, help of intel, help with our military, help with our policing. We're going to get help and investment from so many places. I was so encouraged listening to a professor from the University of the Free State. And I expected him to be, you know, Afrikaans, but very, very English-speaking professor, older man. And he studies, and he looks, and he does analysis and things like this. He looks at situations. And it's incredible when they interviewed him on ENCA. He was using other words but he was more or less saying there's going to be revival from his perspective as a non-Christian. And what he was talking about, he was saying, I've looked at the facts. I've done the research. I've been monitoring this. I've been telling the government that this was coming. And he said, but it's almost like, and I forget the professor's name. He said, it's almost like the revolutionaries have played their last hand. They've exposed themselves. But what it's done, it's galvanized the majority of South Africans who are law-abiding, peace-loving, and just want a life and a prosperous life and want to live in this country. And he said, but I'm telling you, and he used a word like sparkling, effervescent. He said, there's a sparkling, effervescent, middle to upper class that's rising up, who are thinkers, who are peace-loving, who are intelligent, and they are stepping into the politics, and they're going to take over the politics of this nation, and this country is going to change for the better. Man, it was like, I'm listening, I'm going, thank you, Jesus. Jesus. This is from a secular statistician, you know, and he's looking at the facts and saying something powerful, something beautiful is coming to our country. So come on, church, be encouraged. Let's stand and let's see what God is going to do in this nation. Come on, church, let's believe, let's pray. And uh, turn your negative energy, turn it into prayer. If you're short in your language, English, Afrikaans, Zulu, Koza, Pedi, doesn't matter what it is. Turn it into praying in the Spirit. Because Paul said, the Spirit will pray for us. For us. He will pray the prayers that God deems that we should be praying. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you. And uh, may the grace of God and the love of the Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with each one of you. Till Jesus appears, whether he appears in refreshing or he appears in Jesus' name. Love you, saints.